0: Mark your calendars and join all your ACB friends June 17th for the ACB Summer Auction. It's going to be a fun night of friends and fundraising for ACB. Some of our ACB leaders will be auctioning off items such as crafts, collectibles, jewelry, vacations, and food. It all gets underway at 7 p.m. Eastern on Zoom and ACB Media. But you can get a head start on all the fun with the Appetizer Auction June 15th and 16th. To find out more, get in touch with Leslie Spoon by emailing leslie spoon at cfl.rr.com that's leslie spoon at cfl.rr.com get ready to get bidding at the acb summer auction saturday june 17th at 7 p.m eastern on zoom and acb media
1: The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.
2: The afternoon, ACB community. You are listening to home, garden, and agriculture. We come to you on the second Saturday of each month at this time to talk about a whole variety of topics related to homesteading, gardening, and agriculture. Uh, My name is Marge and Deborah is my co-facilitator and we have a special guest on pollinators, something we all need to know about. Uh, Debra will introduce her. But first off, Debra, for a quickie, how's your garden doing?
0: Well, it is doing much better than last year, I can tell you that. I have eggplant coming on already. I don't think I've ever seen my eggplant starting this early. Mm. Uh, my zucchini has not been destroyed by the squash bugs yet. Keeping my fingers crossed, it's getting bigger and bigger. I'm still harvesting greens, which is really nice. I've been experimenting with many different kinds. Some bolt too early and too easily, and some have been fabulous. Uh, it, it's, I'm um, having an extended greens period and enjoying that a great deal have lots of flowers planted that attract pollinators and uh, cannot keep up with the lawn. It is growing like crazy because we've had an unusual amount of rain. So all is good here, uh, it had a little sad note. I lost Sounds one of my like chickens it. this week. Um, that Ooh. my old, old, old girl, my old chimichanga who was 12. Um, but she had a good life and, um, she went pretty quickly and, uh, but, uh, all, all else is, is going well around here. How about for you, Marge? How are things going for you?
2: Well, it's definitely summer in my part of the world here on the Georgia coast. And it really is the, the summer crops, um, coming in, uh, uh, the the crookneck uh, squashes, which aren't being attacked <laughs> over here on the East Coast either uh, by those notorious bugs, or as we call them here, vine borers. Uh, cucumbers are coming along. Um, some of the tomatoes, uh, smaller ones, have ripened, and uh, beans. So it's, it's really the summer crops, and that means a, a bit of a, a change of diet, what we eat around here. But Um, I always miss the greens when they bolt and and they have to uh, say goodbye. But uh, I know they'll be back um, in the fall. But that's just part of the the turning of the seasons and uh, what makes gardening interesting. So, Deborah, what are we going to learn today about pollinators?
0: Well, before we get to that, I just want to give people a little information about the next two months. so Marge and I are taking July yes, off yes. because of convention, and our our call would fall right in the middle of convention. so I, I, we don't want to compete compete with that. we we are uh, We'll be back on in August. and um, when we come back on, we'll be celebrating our third year of ACB Home Garden and Agriculture. Uh, we will be having a mm-hmm. drawing for a prize and we hope people will join us when when we come back on in August uh, y- we would love to hear what you are doing in in your apartment your garden uh, even if you have one plant if you're a microgreens grower if you uh, don't take care of anything and just enjoy nature, whatever you want to call and talk to us about, we'd love to hear it. So just, just that information. Did you have anything to add to that? Marge?
2: No. Um, just that I believe that is August 12th, uh, to put on your calendars for our, our next, um, yes, it is the 12th, uh, for our next, uh, call. Um, And And I'll mention
0: this, Oh, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I just quickly wanted to thank Nikki who has Clubhouse and streaming and Jeanette who is um, our host today. I really appreciate their work and um, I also just very quickly want to give a plug to uh, Nella who had a great book club this month and uh, she will. We have another book coming up uh, for next month. It's the Dirty Life, a really good book. Yes, I encourage I'm people it. to join that. Oh, it's a great book. It
2: is. So it is. I
0: encourage people to join the um, the call, the Nella's book club, and also uh, look at the link. And if you haven't already joined the Homesteading by Touch. List. I encourage you to do that. And sorry, Marge, go ahead. Oh, sure. I, I it's on that go. list.
2: <laughs> that list is where you'll get the information about the book club discussions as uh, as those come up. I may mention at the end, but I wanted to just quickly mention now um, that uh, the NLS BARD program, where many of us get our audio books and braille books. Um, does have a few books on pollinators and one I want to recommend that folks check out is called Our Native Bees. So if you just remember Native Bees and look for that on BARD. Uh, It's an excellent read, very informative. Uh, Bookshare, if you get books from that resource, has a a lot of books uh, related to pollinators as well, some very technical. But one good one that I read was called Protecting Pollinators. So if you get on the Bookshare, uh, go check that book out. So just wanted to mention that now so I didn't forget.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Marge. And I think we'll introduce our guest now. So our guest today is Grace. She is Uh, Like I am, we're both master gardeners through the Ada County Extension Agency, that's through the University of Idaho. Uh, Grace wanted me to emphasize she's not an expert, but she is somebody who's very passionate about pollinators. And uh, she will be happy to talk to us about pollinators and answer your questions. We'd also love to hear your perspectives. So, Grace, welcome, and thank you very much for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, my first question for you is, how is a pollinator defined? What is a pollinator? Well, a pollinator would be any any vector, and we can go into what those are, but they can be insects or animals or wind or water or whatever. That carries pollen to the flower to help it reproduce. Okay, and can you uh, give us some examples of pollinators you you especially focus on? Well, I mean, there's a long list of them. Um, so it may be that you, our listeners would like to focus on on certain ones. I'd be happy to answer that. But basically. You know, wind is one of the first ones people forget, right? As a pollinator, Mm -hmm. like corn is often uh, pollinated that way. Water, like rain, will do it as well. But most of the time, it's a biotic agent, like the ones that most people would think of are European honeybees or um, butterflies or other things like that. But there's actually a list of about 20 different agents that pollinate plants worldwide. What are some um, unusual pollinators that people would not normally think of as pollinators? Well, uh, depending where you are in the world, and I'm not sure where the audience, you know, how wide the range is, but um, ants are one of the ones that always surprise me because the pollen grains stick to their body as they search for nectar, but it tends to be more in tropical, subtropical areas. And uh, there are even some ants that secrete a substance that acts as a kind of like an antibiotic against infections for them, and that kills the pollen. So there are plants that have learned how to create nectaries, where they their nectar is actually at the bottom of the plant, so the ants go in and out and they don't bother at all. <laughs> uh,
1: huh.
0: Other ones that, uh, has anyone ever noticed a bat pollinating? That's, now that's uh, one you mentioned to me that I find fascinating. How does a bat yeah. pollinate? Well, bats are nocturnal pollinators, obviously, and they tend to do things that are in... Uh, Specific areas, like in the Southwest, they pollinate the agaves and the cacti, a lot of them. Um, they also do tropical and subtropical plants. Like who knew that bananas and avocados and cashews were all bat pollinated? <laughs> uh, in fact, there are, there's one called the Mexican long-nosed bat that evolved a special head and a tongue just to pollinate the century plant. And that's it. A very specialized so, one. Are these bats pollinating while eating fruit off the plants, or do they uh, actually uh, eat the nectar out Uh, of flowers? Both plus insects. You know, bats are tremendous uh, insect eaters, so they Uh, will eat, you know, hundreds of insects or even thousands of insects while they're out, Um, but yes, depending on the plant and the place, uh, sometimes it's... It's the fruit. Um, you'll find fruit is is a, a tractor to pollinators in a lot of tropical areas that are, um, what am I trying to say, uh, marsupials or, um, you know, um, yeah, I can't think of the name, um, where they climb the trees like um, opossums or possums, okay. of different kinds. not the possums we think of so much, but ones in like Australia and other places, they'll climb very high, get the fruit. They have those long snouts um, or they can fly to those areas like bush babies and others. Uh, and yes, they do it through the fruit. Okay. So um, can you just dis- describe visually a standard process of what's going on when, uh, pollination occurs. Uh, we, we were joking about this before we came on, uh, give us a little, a little quickie <laughs> birds and bees. Right. Overview. Sure. sure. So let me, uh, let me see how visual I can make this. So, uh, you know, the way that the plants, uh, produce offspring is by making fruits and seeds. So that's the, that's the product of that successful pollination. So the process is transferring the pollen from the flower's male organ, which is called an anther, to the female organ. And this is all inside the plant, um, which is the stigma of the same flower or another of the same species. So when a pollinator comes to that plant, They either shake off or leave uh, what needs to be moved through the plant. So those pollen grains, and it has to be the right kind of pollen. It can't be some other plant's pollen. Land on that stigma. They germinate and grow kind of down a long pollen tube. And that goes to the flowers, what's, what's called a style. That's the tube. And then into the ovule, which is where the eggs are. So it's not a whole lot different than any other kind of reproduction process um, because it results in fertilization, and that leads to the fruits and seeds. And then those seeds themselves are embryos, and that's the next generation of plants. The interesting thing about this whole process, if I could just add one more thing, is that the pollinator has no clue that they're pollinating the plant. So the plants have learned how to trick them and reward them by providing whatever nectar or pollen they need. So, so as, a, and that is a great visual. I think you did a really good job with that. So as the vector, uh, whether it be an insect or bat or whatever, uh, be yeah. yeah. where yeah as as the the critter <laughs> comes along and is trying to get something else from the from the plant, um whether it be pollen or fruit or whatever uh, they're they're brushing against the anthers and getting pollen on them, and then they're transferring that to um stigmas as Correct. as as okay. Yeah, and um, now, do we have any um, birds that you can talk about that are pollinators? Yes, Um, most, I mean, some birds will accidentally do things, but the one that most people are familiar with is the hummingbird. right? They're probably the most prominent, at least in North America. You see them a lot. In fact, I was out in my yard before this call watching a little uh, black-throated hummingbird at at one of my um, flowers, you know. And I'm sure they're not thinking, oh, I'm pollinating this plant. Uh, they want the nectar. So they have evolved to have those long beaks and tongues that can reach deep into the flowers to harvest that nectar. The plant, in turn, has a pestiment or whatever, tends to have long tubes or ways that accommodate that uh, beak and tongue. And, you know, if you're talking, you know, evolutionary, they've evolved together to work together, which is the cool thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and I, um, I should mention, you you kind of asked how is that transfers. It's transferred, uh, the pollen is transferred by the beak or the feather, uh, depending how. Okay you know, what flowered, um, yeah, what flowered it. Okay. Um, March, do you have any questions for Grace?
2: I imagine that um, you've learned a bit too about uh, the native bee pollinators that we have, as opposed to the the honeybees that we so often um, have heard about and are are familiar with. Um, What's up with native pollinators, the native bees?
0: Well, if you want native bees, which we have 4,000 species in the US and 20,000 worldwide, you need to have native plants. So wherever your area is, I would highly suggest that you frequent a native plant nursery or area or. a nursery that carries native plants, if you want to attract those bees, uh, because many of them are plant-specific. In other words, they're not generalist like a honeybee. A honeybee will basically go anywhere it can get nectar and pollen. Uh, a native bee that isn't always the case. Um, so, and they come, and you know, it's kind of like going out and picking up all the flowers. They come in every shape and color and size and lifestyles. So, some of those native bees need to have bare ground so that they can bury in those. Others will need to nest or raise their young in tubes or cavities. Um, So, you need to have that diversity in your yard. In fact, most uh, sources will tell you, most native plant people will tell you, have at least 20 different species of plants in your yard or your pollinator garden. That seems like a lot, but you'd be surprised how much you can (laughs) kind of put in there. My daughter, uh, just as a side note, my daughter has a little patio garden in Tucson, Arizona, uh, completely different from where I am in Eagle, Idaho. But she planted it almost exclusively a native plant. It took her about a week before she started seeing native pollinators and caterpillars and other things because they were laying their eggs and eating the plants. So yeah, and, and that's, that brings us to, I, I, I realize people have different native plants in different parts of the world, but are there some basic plants that we typically grow that you would recommend as good pollinator plants? Well, again, it kind of depends where you go. Uh, there are some general ones. Uh, ironweed is, is available a lot of different places. Asters, even though they're not um, specific to an area, tend to be across many areas. Um, and pollinators like them, both honeybees, with beetles, and, and what have you, because they are, or, and native bees sometimes, because they have those flat surfaces, and flowers that tend to be single levels, in other words, they're not umbrals, they're not, um, they don't have lots of different uh, folds in them, uh, but just flat like a daisy will uh, attract a lot more bees. So like when our, my asters, which are not native to Idaho, but they're, they're, they're native to many places across this part of the United States. Uh, will attract ILC native bees, hoverflies, um, the regular honeybees, and even some um, pollinating beetles on them in the fall, because that's one of the last flowers to bloom before uh, we get our cold weather. Wow, this is is really great. Um, So... Marge, are you ready to take some calls or do you have any more questions before we do that?
2: Let's see if we have any calls.
0: Okay. So if you want to join the conversation, whether it be to share your knowledge or a question, uh, please let us know. We'll be happy to uh, hear what you have to say. So one pollinator I really enjoy, and, and uh, I should before I blab on, uh, just interrupt me if there are any hands raised because those come first <laughs> or anybody who's calling in. So one pollinate, pollinator plant I really enjoy is sunflowers. Uh, they attract a wide range of, of different uh, animals. What do you have a favorite? grape? do you have something you grow that you really enjoy? Uh, I really like the bee balm and oh, yeah. and the butterfly bush mm-hmm. because it brings in a variety of birds, butterflies, bees, all at the same time. So it's like they're all at the you know the banquet table. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. And I can grow them if I if I do my gardening correctly and trim them properly. Uh, I have butterfly bushes outside the window so I can actually watch it from inside as well as outside. But I also enjoy the, I don't, I've never grown, well, I've grown some varieties of shorter sunflowers. But the large ones, the annuals uh, that grow 10 feet tall or whatever, are a lot of fun to watch as they mature because different even the wasps seem to like them i'm not sure why mm-hmm. i'm not sure if the wasps are there eating other th- bugs <laughs> they are a pollinator though but uh, i always get one or two from bird feed um that just come up on their own volunteers and they're pretty fun they are i get uh some beautiful birds on mine too uh the songbirds well, pinches, right? get attracted those to pinches. them. Yeah, yep, yeah. Those are fun to listen to. So, why should we care about pollinators? What What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is nearly every ecosystem depends on pollination of flowering plants for survival. So, not, It's up. It used to be seventy to seventy five percent. Um, the things I'm reading now are ninety percent of the world's flowering plants and over a third of the world's crop species depend on pollination to survive that's incredible that's about what one out of every three bises so it's really important um, that we protect those pollinators uh, because there's so many threats that you know there's habitat loss and and you know, it's changing climates and decline in the wildlife areas. I mean, I could go on and on. There's lots and lots of things that pesticide use, herbicide use, fungicide use, any, uh, <laughs> any eyed use um, is so harmful. And there's so much we can do. There's so much we can do even just in our own yards or in the balcony of our back window, you know, what are some things we can do? You mentioned growing 20 different species of plants. What are some other things we can do? Well, um, and I also mentioned native plants, right? Because the more mm-hmm. native bees you bring in or, or bugs or beetles, um, the better. You can make those, um, when you're growing plants, you can make, uh, the going rate is four feet by four feet for a flower patch. So if you can get one species of plant that's that big, you're going to pull in more. That will help. Um, Don't use the pesticides, as I mentioned. Um, Don't do a fall cleanup, or if you do, allow some of it to stay, because that protects some of the beneficial insects, which will, if they're not pollinating themselves, the birds or the caterpillars or whatever will eat and feed it. You know, everything is kind of a large web of life, a web system. So the more you can do for one thing, the more you're going to do for for your pollinators. Um, other things you can do is provide what they're missing. So if you can create a wildlife habitat, which means you've got water, shelter, nesting, nesting material and sites and food, you're going to protect a lot of pollinators. You know, food would be what the flowers will produce or fruit trees or whatever, uh, water, it could be anything. It could be a bird bath. It could be a little puddle. It could be a pond, whatever. Um, the shelter, a lot of people don't think about that for pollinators. A lot of pollinators need shelter in trees and troughs. Um, so something like that is helpful. And then nesting. Uh, I was out at our local Bee City USA, and they had a wonderful bee box. Um, that you could actually open up and look at. You couldn't t- touch the inside, obviously, but it showed where the cavity native bees were, were using those cavities, like the leafcutter bees and others, uh, to put their their eggs for hatching uh, bat boxes, things like that. Um, so you you can um, buy um, you can buy nesting um, setups. Mm-hmm. For absolutely you can, you can buy them, you can build them. Um I'm I'm a little bit lazy, so I gather up my delphinium. Um the stalks when they're done are hollow and so are the um uh bee bomb stalks and I just bundle them together and leave them for them to use. Um, I've never opened them up in the middle to see if they've ever used them, but I don't take them out of the garden until you know May or so when I know they've, they've left. So, so you talked a, a little bit about fall cleanup and, and I started practicing this a few years ago and, and it's, it's hard to leave your stuff out there all winter because it starts looking pretty bedraggled, but there is a certain beauty in dry flowers over the winter too. I, I, I'm thinking of um, last, uh, about January, I my son was here visiting and there were some lilac blossoms, some spent lilac blossoms on my Korean lilac, which is right outside my living room window. Yeah. And there were some that I, I missed. Uh, I usually try to prune those off. And my... I saw a pair of finches repeatedly going to that bush and eating the the old dead dry lilac flowers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I it it made me really stop and think. You know, what's more important: the aesthetics of my yard looking all cleaned up and perfect, or providing some habitat and food? And, and it was really delightful to hear about this little pair of birds re- coming back and, and enjoying um, what I accidentally left out there. Yeah, I wondered about that once with fresh flowers on trees, because I've seen finches and others pick those off and eat. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why are they tearing off my blossoms? And so I looked it up and I read that they're actually eating the insects that are in uh, ah. because. Because it's early and they're preparing, you know, for their young or they have young mm-hmm. and, it, you know, uh is one of the things because they would just take them and toss them all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So they may be doing something similar. The reason I mentioned that is they may be doing something similar with the the dry blooms. They may be eating them or they might be eating something that's inside them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Whatever it was, I'm not pruning my lilac blossoms off anymore. <laughs> We'll see what happens, too. But, but you know, yeah. you don't have to. You're talking about fall cleanup. You you can clean up some things. Uh, certainly, uh, RHOA basically demands that we do in our front yards, at least. Uh, but I try to leave some leaf litter down. Um, and I try, if we cut down a tree or something, I try to leave the stump. Uh, things like that. Just little things can go a long way. Uh, another thing you can do is clear the space. So like we are, again, our HOA has us with, you know, weed protectant laid down with rock on top. So I will cut areas where I know by the pollinator plants so that bees can access that if they need to. Wasps, to some of those predatory wasps are underground and so they can get to it. And when you say wasp, I'm sure some people are cringing. Even the word bee makes some people really scared. Uh, uh, many don't sting, correct? Most it, of the male, wait, male native bees don't sting. And the honeybees don't sting unless you really bother them. I mean, <laughs> I've pushed the limits and I've never been stung, but. I'll go out and on you know when salvia will get to a point where it needs to be cut back if you want a second bloom, but there's still a little bud on the end and the bees are still there and they will buzz their disappointment in me and even sometimes give me little bee headbutts, but they've <laughs> never stung me. So um they just go on to the next plant or they follow me to where I'm throwing the stuff away and I have to make sure I don't put them in the trash can with the. But um, yeah, I know some people don't like it. I'm not a huge fan of wasps. And if there's a nest right by my front door, yes, I'm going to remove it. But if it's far away, they are great predators. They will keep a lot of the, what we would consider bad bugs. Uh, they will eat them and feed them to their young. So if you can leave them if they're not bothering you, wasps um, aren't so you know are better than we think they are, and they actually do a little bit of pollination too, as the pollen sticks to their legs. <laughs> Does everybody understand oh. what pollen is? By the way, I mean. Oh, tell us what it's made You're- of. Yeah, what's it made of? Um, it's actually um, a nutritious blend. It's got all sorts of um, proteins and fats and other kinds of nutrients mixed into it. That's why bees and other animals will use it to feed their young. Uh, They'll make a little pollen pancakes or whatever. That's not what they're called. (laughs) But for them to eat on when they hatch because uh, it's so rich in those nutrients. Uh the nectar is a fast sugar, right? It's a sugar source. But the other can last over time. Yeah. Kind
1: of
0: cool. Yeah. You know, kind of is. it is? A, a granola bar versus a soda bar. <laughs> so um Nikki and Jeanette, do we have anyone who wants to join and with a question or comment?
2: I just want to remind people, if you want to ask questions in Zoom, use Alt-Y, and in Clubhouse, uh, come on stage and hit that request to speak button, and Nikki will be glad to bring you up, and stay stay muted until your name is called, but we are
0: welcoming questions.
1: We have nothing in Clubhouse at this point, so I'm just letting you know
0: that. Okay. We'd love to hear from anyone. Uh, You know, let us hear your expertise. We'd love to hear more questions. So that's interesting about pollen, uh, what, what comprises pollen. And so there are some pollinators who are deliberately collecting pollen for a purpose. Yes. And... Absolutely. Yeah. Could you describe um, what that looks like like on a on a bee for example? What what does that sure. look like when when that's happening? Sure. Well, most bees, not all bees, but most bees have kind of hairy legs or tummies depending, and when they cross when they they brush up against and loosen the pollen it sticks to them that that also um that works for the actual reproduction process but if they're taking it back i'm sure you've seen bees that have the little um, they almost look like they've put on yellow pants <laughs> cuz they have all that pollen stuck on their legs um that they're taking back now i'm not a bee expert but i do know that honeybees use that um uh to feed their young and in in the process of building their honeycombs, but if somebody else is, I'd love to hear exactly how they take that off their little fuzzy bodies and put it in another thing is you know bumblebees we didn't really mention bumblebees the cute little guys they're the only ones that I know of that do- pu- buzz pollination that's actually what it's called because every time they buzz, everything flies off of their little bodies, so you know, when they come so up. So, what does that look like when when a bumblebee does buzz pollination? What does buzz, that look buzz like? Pollination? Typically, a bumblebee will come up to a flower, um, and they will uh, route around and get the whatever they're looking for—nectar or whatever—and then as they fly, their wings make a—they're flying, their wings moving so fast on their big old fat body. Uh, remember, those guys are the ones that nobody can figure out how they're really flying. Well, that's not really true. But for a long time, no one could figure out how those little wings could make that big body fly. It creates a buzz, very much like the humming that you hear with a hummingbird. The bees will do that kind of a sound. And when they do that, it vibrates their bodies. And humming, um, um bumblebees tend to be very fuzzy. And everything that's in there would stay in there, all the pollen. So when they fly from part to part, or flower to flower, it uh, shakes it off of their little—gosh, uh, for a better word, fur. It's not fur, but their their um, covering that they have looks like fur to me. Huh. Looks like you could pet them. <laughs> so they just kind of they kind of shrug it all off every once in a they, while. And, and that's right. Yeah. So they're, huh. it kind of spreads everywhere. I always think of them as a little, um, I have one or two in my yard that I always name. They're always, you know, uh, Sam. So Sam the bumblebee and the other Sam the bumblebee will do that all the time. And they just shake things everywhere. You can almost see it, not quite, but you can almost see it kind of filter out. Hmm. You mentioned that there are some unusual uh, pollinator plant relationships. Can you uh, tell us about some of those? Uh, sure. Let me think. Um, well, uh, one, you know, moths mostly pollinate at night, right? They They're attracted to those late afternoon, night and early morning ones. And they go for very sweet, Smelling flowers. So if you don't have sweet smelling night blooming flowers in your yard, you may not have a lot of um, moths that are attracted to it. I mean, most of the pollination is during. You know, I said you know, plant the sun. Most pollination happens in the sun, and so that and bats do that too. But um, so if you're looking or you're 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 wanting to have a range of pollination, those sweet-smelling, night-blooming flowers uh, will attract moths. Even the large ones like the hummingbird moth or sphinx moth or whatever the, the ones that are, are basically as big as a finger, not a tiny one. Um, let's see. What are some other ones? Well, beetles. I didn't know that magnolias are typically pollinated by beetles. Who knew? Um, I didn't know that, um, what was the other one that was weird? There was one that was really strange. Oh, uh, I actually um, learned this in our master gardener class, that they found a frog that is pollinating a specific fruit tree in Brazil And that frog only eats that fruit, and that plant, that tree, is only pollinated by the frogs. And they had no idea until just this year, or last year, that that relationship um, was so specific. I I have a feeling that there's an awful lot we don't know, and a lot more to learn about specific pollination. Uh, We know that a lot of plants will do that just growing, that they will coexist with another plant um, that helps protect them in some way, right? I mean, we've known that for a long time that certain plants in the forest that are under plants will uh, symbiotically um, grow with taller trees and such, and they protect each other in all sorts of different ways, including putting things into the soil that protect the larger tree from being hurt, and the larger tree mm-hmm. then helps the smaller plant by protecting it from the sun or whatever. Or we do have a raised hand. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. Roberta, take it. Go ahead. Hi, Roberta.
1: Hi. Um, I have a question. It's fairly technical regarding native bees. Um, okay. I have some. I have some structures, a c- couple of different models, for a Mason Bee. They call them Mason Bee hotels, um, right? And interest, interestingly, um, I've seen them for sale at Costco, which I <laughs> it just doesn't strike me as a Costco kind of thing. But they had these <laughs> Native Bee hotels, um, and and essentially they look like a well. Sh- they remind me of a a mantle uh, a mantle, old fashioned mantle clock, and on the on the when if you feel the surface of it, it has all these little circles of what I believe, if I read it correctly, are they're made using uh, bamboo. Um, so I have a couple of questions. Number one, um, uh-huh. I have had problems with predators i mean other animals um raiding the hotel um to get at the eggs and the honey because obviously that's a very high value food um so i built we built some um we used some half inch uh, hardware cloth and built a cover to go on the front of it so that the woodpeckers couldn't Get down into it and stuff like that, which helped. Yeah. But, um, and I guess my question is, do I just leave them hanging year-round?
0: Oh, that is a good question. Um I am no, because, not sure. I have never I have never heard of okay. anybody necessarily taking theirs down because okay. once the larva come out, it leaves the hole empty. Uh, as far as your predators, sometimes that just happens, and you may need to move your box to another location. Um, okay. But um, I remember watching a special from the UK where during during COVID, this particular person wa- couldn't leave their yard, and so they did a whole study on native bees there, and they had that problem. Oh, cool. They had wasps. And other and birds and other things uh, coming to those native bee boxes and either you know killing what was there or like you said robbing what was there and he really didn't have an answer except that um, they put a netting over the top that was hopefully the size of the bee in there like a mesh almost okay I don't know how to explain it like a wire mesh that was a little smaller. So that the, hopefully the bee could get in, but the wasp couldn't. But I mean, wasps and bees,
1: mm-hmm. even though they
0: came, they evolved from the same thing, have always had their problems. And you know that a one wasp can take out an entire honeybee population if it's so desired. Right. So right. It, it is a tough thing. And I'm sorry I can't answer that. I can look, find out for you, but um, at least according to his research and his. Home during that you know ten month mm-hmm. period, mm-hmm. he wasn't able to find anything that could deter them. In fact, it made him sad because he was starting to name some of the bees because <laughs> uh, he watched them so much. And so, uh, and they would come back, you know, to the same places all the time in the same flowers. Yeah. So, well, um, and int- but he did put and- a mesh over the top.
1: Okay, and interestingly, the first Mason bee but hotel that i got uses i paper straws and that oh, and yeah. and, mm-hmm. and that and the place that i saw it was at my local university which is a agricultural university mm-hmm. and they had a yes. they had a b day and one one of the things they were showing was this mason bee house that they that used these straws and the students once a straw was filled would gently remove that straw and put an empty straw in and then he took the straws and put them in the freezer for the winter and brought them out like the following April, which I thought was, that's a little bit much as a visually impaired person to do, but, um, that was, that was my first Mason bee house. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool to think that you, you can actually do something to help the native bee population.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. It's really. It, it really is cool. Um I wonder, so yeah, if you're providing, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm just wondering if if you can put the bee hotel in your freezer for the winter to protect Ooh. from winter predators. I don't know. I'm just wondering. Oh, that's a good. Okay. That that's would, an
1: interesting idea. Just put the whole thing in the freezer.
0: Yeah, I'm. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I, I do kind of wonder because it sounds like if they're doing that, the eggs must be able to handle that cold and are overwintering, and then yeah. coming out. And but, but it would be important to find out, you know, how long, what temperature, things like that. But yeah, yeah. that does sound like a problem. So you you mentioned I think there's it honey, would be, you know. Sorry, let me interject just one thing really quickly. Instead of freezing it, if I heard that correctly, I'm not sure if I heard it correctly. Mm -hmm. um, You know, if you want to take it out of extreme areas or you're worried, I I might even try something that's like uh, a shed or a garage where it's protected, but it's not too far from where you're taking it so you can put it back. And it wouldn't. Mm. You wouldn't have to have one in your in your refrigerator all winter. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned honey. So the mason bees and some of the native bees that are not colony bees, and that that's important to make a distinction. Um, some people think all bees live in colonies, but they don't. Many um, native bees do not. Um, they do actually uh, put some honey in with their uh, eggs when they when they lay their eggs. It's, it's I, I don't know that. OK, I have not ever read that. That was that was a question. That was a question. I, I didn't know.
2: I believe they put some kind of food, whether it's honey or something else. They do put something there for when the eggs hatch. I've read that, certainly. And there's, you know, it's a single little tiny nest for each bee.
0: Yeah. It Mm. looks, if you've ever, you know, looked inside one, it it looks like a little capsule, almost like what you see in in a honeycomb, but not quite so... Uh, yellow and thick. So it Excuse could be me? something like that. Yes.
2: You're at 10 minutes.
0: Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. So when you are, and Roberta, I thank you so much for bringing this up. You've sparked sure. a lot of other questions. <laughs> uh, did you have any other questions? Uh, I have a couple that you, you inspired. No. thank Do you have you. any Thank you, Roberta. Thank you. So, the other question I had uh, is, is there a better side of the house or better location where to, to put a bee motel? Well, I mean, I think I would put it close to the food source, uh, if I could, so that the bee doesn't have to travel so far. Um, I actually had read, and it me they said put it in a you know you can put homes for bees that wasn't a hotel but you know if you're if you're putting tubes together in some way so it could be a hotel uh to put it in a sheltered place on the north side and I thought north side that's going to be extra cold but that might have been a California thing <laughs> as opposed mm-hmm. to an Idaho thing um but I think um, again, I'm, I'm just using what I would think would be common sense, uh, would be to leave it where they could continue to bring the nutrients in and out, uh, even in a meadowy area, if you have that in your yard someplace that, uh, if you don't have a pollinator area, uh, a place where there's some protection for them. Okay. And, um, this is probably a last call. If anyone wants to join the conversation, let us know now. We're getting close to the end. So do we have anybody with the hand raised?
2: Um, this is Marge. I had um, one thing that I was was thinking about here in our, our last few minutes, maybe. Um, we have blueberry bushes on two sides of our house, and their pollination... Has, has come to see, seem rather magical to me that it, it all of a sudden has happened and the blueberries are starting to form. And I had heard that there is a, a southern blueberry bee. So there's some native bee here. Um, I don't know what they look like, um, who they are, how they could be identified, but uh, they come and, and they very graciously um, <laughs> do something that, that, Helps us out quite a bit. And um, what that led me to think about was how I read that there, there really are, we, we know there's all these species of native bees that do pollinating. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to, um, again, the specificity thing and why, why it is about the anatomy of some of these insects that means they only pollinate certain things. Does it have to do with um, their, uh, the, the, their leg length or their tongues or what, what is it about them that means they maybe only go to my blueberries?
0: Uh, most likely they have co-evolved to do that. In other words, um, over time they have Found that they get whatever they need from blueberries, and therefore they have um, modified what they look like to be able to um, reach the nectar or the pollen or whatever they need. Um, kind of as a side note to that, um, you know, there are some flowers or on on plants, and I don't know if blueberries are that, uh, but I don't see it as as one of these, but there are imperfect flowers where they lack one or more of the sexual parts. Like there's no male pistil or there's no female stamen, And, um, so it may need to be pollinated in a different way. And I don't think blueberries are necessarily like right. that, but, and there's okay. also, there's also plants that have separate male and female flowers, right? Sure. Um, so, um, you know kind of my my answer to a lot of things that i don't really know the na- and the answer to is nature always finds a way yeah
2: yeah, yeah. but there really are these these anatomical differences uh, apparently that that's just fascinating and and i think probably something that needs a lot more studying given how many um, species of of native pollinators there are and how many yeah, plants I- there
0: are to be pollinated Exactly, exactly. And all the more reason to try to say, you know, because if you're saving one, you're saving more. If you're doing things to try to help, you know, the ones that are pollinating your blueberry plant, chances are you're also um, doing things to help other pollinators in your yard or your area. So, um, you know, that's one of the nice things. I always suggest to people, if this is something that really interests you, Um, support or join or whatever one of the national societies that particularly works on these things, whether it's uh, the Xerxes Society, which has to do with um, invertebrates like moths and butterflies and such, um, or, um, you know, Bee City locations where they're planning pollinator gardens and they're trying to get that information out or even like what Deborah and I do we're part of the master gardener program uh so not only you're learning but you're also sharing what you learn uh so others in your area because if all your neighbors are you know supporting those particular bees for your blueberries all the better Uh, for sure yeah absolutely and even if you live in an apartment and um have a little tiny area where you can put some plants on a patio or on your front doorstep you really do consider it it's it's important to to contribute to making the world better and we can all do it in different ways grace it's been such a privilege and pleasure to have you on today thank you for (laughs) spending time with us that was fascinating Mm -hmm. And uh, we've greatly enjoyed having you on today. Uh, There must be a lot of people out enjoying a spring day today, or either that or they were so uh, captivated by what you were saying, they didn't call. But uh, we do appreciate our, uh, our host, Jeanette, and we appreciate the clubhouse and streaming person. That was Nikki today. And thank you, Roberta, for calling and asking some great questions and bringing up some great topics. Um, Again, we will not be here in July. Enjoy convention. We will be back in August to uh, celebrate our third year of ACB Home Garden and Agriculture. And um, Marge, I'm going to hand it to you and let you uh, bring us out
2: yes thank thank you deborah again uh, august 12th is the next time to join in we'll have an open forum then so you can talk about whatever's going on for you maybe some questions some uh, contributions of successes you're having we'll welcome that all in august so uh please join us again and join our listserv uh, which you can do through the announcement about this event today.